Podcast. Nick hails with the Redskins Blaster, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Finally show me something I care about. And then you drag me away. It is beautiful beneath the sea. But if you stay too long, you'll drown. I wasn't drowning. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hey, out to the Redskins, Wagner. What's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Love the diehard clip there. And nice to see that the NFL <laughs> made it through the 4th of July this year without any JPP-style incidences, right? Uh, yeah, I forgot to mention that I, I invited him to my 4th of July celebration last week, but I didn't ever hear back. So I guess he was too busy doing the, his uh, his PSA. So um, Fair warning, Nick, before we get going. I I loaded about 12 new clips into the, into the queue yesterday, so... You're going to be you're going to be hearing stuff you're not familiar with. This is the final flourish. <laughs> the final flourish, indeed. Um, today we have professional QB trainer Chris Hickson. Uh, very looking forward to that. He'll be joining us here in about a half hour. Just kind of tell us a little bit about what he does and kind of things that he looks for and how he he molds players to be a uh, to be a better players, obviously. So we're looking forward to that. Um, uh, he should provide some good insight, and maybe we'll get in. Maybe he'll tell us what's wrong with Christian Hackenberg. I don't know. I don't know if he's <laughs> if he studied Hackenberg or, or worked with him, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what he has for us here. We're coming up in about 28 minutes. Um, we also have uh, some some new writers coming on the site. Some new stuff dropping. Another new one coming out tomorrow by a guy named Sean Dar. I believe the last name is pronounced. So make sure you check that out. Um, new content flowing every day, so make sure you come back and see see us daily and see what we have to say. It's pretty pretty insightful, and it's great to have all these all this new blood on staff. Um, we'll just get a few news and notes. We're going to do a kind of a recap of the Scott Fishbowl 480 mocks. That's a 480 T league. Um, obviously, this everybody's not in the same division or whatnot, but you know, yeah, I'm sure you. Know, I think it's many many different divisions of 12. And that's where the player pools lie as well. So it is a super flex league, so pretty QB crazy right away in those drafts. Um, so we'll just kind of talk about those. If you're not in that or you're are preparing for that, uh, we'll hopefully get you where you need to be. Um, a little plant your flag, wash your hands, wide receiver edition. Um, Wide receiver three edition. I think those guys are all wide receiver threes, essentially. Um, then Chris will join us. We've got a great dynasty dilemma, sticking with the quarterback theme as we do uh, Carson Palmer versus uh, Mr. Sadface himself, Eli Manning. Dynasty trade analysis. Uh, we'll talk about the best number 41 in NFL history. And then a, a little dynasty trade reflection, as I wanted to go back and address a couple trades that I made involving draft picks prior to rookie drafts and just letting you people know what I got with those picks. Um, also uh, a little bit of rankings, our new rankings for July are up. So we'll just talk about the, uh, the offensive rankings today and see, see who moved and what, and what we like there. So 
Um, next week, I don't have a guest locked in, but I, we might it might be big or it might just be me and Nick. So what this is, uh, two weeks from that, uh, July 22nd, we have Ricky Cobb from the Super 70s uh, sports podcast. Uh, we're going to talk a little 70s football with him and maybe – Maybe what it would have been like with if fantasy was around then, and who would have been the studs and other other things. It's a really great podcast. If you haven't checked it out, just type in Super Seventies and iTunes because he's he's got some good stuff going on there. Really interesting guests too. So make sure you check that out. He talks to athletes and writers from that era as well. Um, Nick, what do you think? Is Andrew Luck really worth eighty-seven million guaranteed? Well, I mean, you got to look at some factors. One, the quarterback is one of the hardest positions in sports to find a quality player. Some teams go decades without one. Uh, two, he was the number one overall pick. And, you know, has he done anything to suggest that he was unworthy of that? I would say probably not. And then you look at his stats. In his three healthy seasons, he went 11-5 and five each year, uh, years of 3,800 yards, 4,300 yards, and 4,700 yards, threw for 40 touchdowns in 2014. Over four years, he's thrown 101 touchdowns, so only 55 interceptions. Uh, considering the money that Brock Osweiler and Ryan Tannehill got, I would say <laughs> definitely yes. I, I just wish that as a Skins fan that Indy had fallen in love with RG3 so Andrew Luck could be getting $87 million of Dan Snyder's money instead. Yeah, and I think for the fantasy slash dynasty twist on this, I mean, not that if you were holding Andrew Luck, you're you were concerned or going to drop him or anything, but uh, it's it's nice to have that security blanket, knowing he's not going to change teams here next year or in, in a couple of years. So he's it's nice to know that he's locked and loaded, especially with guys like Moncrief and uh, Dorsett. They have a nice nice uh, pass. Pass and pass, passer and pass catching core for the next handful of years, and they added to the offensive line too. So, you know, Andrew Luck was everybody's darling last summer. And then, obviously, what happened last year is kind of he kind of just got lost in the shuffle, and obviously injuries happened there. But uh, he, he's still a pretty elite quarterback, and he's still young. I mean, he's 25, 26 years old. We got another another decade left, I think, of this guy's prime. So, and like Nick said, one healthy, he does put up great numbers, and he guides his team to the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't know if anybody truthfully is worth $87 million guaranteed, uh, but like Nick said, compared to uh, the other quarterbacks that are getting big money and, let's face it, the other quarterbacks that have gone first overall, uh, yeah, I think I think he's certainly worthy at least to get the biggest guaranteed contract uh, as of this minute right now in the NFL. I don't know who's going to break it, but I'm sure it'll get broken sometime maybe in the next 12 to 14 months, I would probably imagine. Um, that just reminded me when I was talking about that, Nick, right in the middle. I'm pretty sure I heard Ross Tucker say a couple weeks ago that uh, after this season, I think Sam Bradford has made a cool $100 million in his career. So, yeah, I think Andrew Luck is – <laughs> is worth $87 million <laughs> if Bradford's already made that. Obviously, he came in at a different time, different contract structure it, time of the NFL. But, uh, yeah, and that's exactly the reason why there's a difference now. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to give you a shot, Nick, to answer some of the questions that we had in the Q&A this past Sunday. So what, 
if you're doing a mock and you like to wait, let's say you're waiting on quarterbacks, you know, because I think when we do mocks, we all try different strategies. But if you're going to wait on a quarterback, who are some of the QB targets you like a little bit later in the startup, you know, like say past round 10? Well, there's a whole bunch of guys that I like. So I'm going to give you a few guys and then say which higher-ranked ADP players that I would bypass to take that guy. Uh, Kirk Cousins is there at uh, round 12, pick 12. That's behind Ryan Tannehill at 12.06 and Matt Ryan at 11.06. I would prefer Cousins to either of them. Uh, Phillip Rivers, who, by the way, was second in the NFL in passing yards last year, he's currently the 19th quarterback off the board at pick 14.02. That's nearly a full round behind Eli Manning and a Calvin Johnson list Matt Stafford. Uh, if you want even later upside, Tyrod Taylor is going at 16.01. Uh, it's behind Teddy Bridgewater at 14.06 and Tony Romo at 14.09 and Brock Osweiler at 15.05. And lastly, Blaine Gabbard is outside of the top 29 quarterbacks, and I expect him to start over Colin Kaepernick. Since all starters have some value, why not take a flyer on him in round 20, right? Wow. <laughs> uh such a homer with the Cousins call. Uh, but uh, here's my thing. When you're looking at these guys that are going to be around later, and I know you said Cousins over Ryan, but think about Matt Ryan, A.J. Green, even Tony Romo, Eli Manning. All those guys have legit number one, probably top five receivers in the NFL right now. Why not? You know, especially if you took uh, Odell or Dez or A.J. or Julio in the first round, why not pair him with their quarterback? I think that's probably okay to even maybe go around above their ADP to have that nice dynasty stack, especially, uh, you know, like with some of those younger quarterbacks. You know, I, I wrote about Andy Dalton. I mean, the guy essentially got his team to the playoffs the first five years of his career. Peyton Manning never did that. Andrew Luck hasn't done that. So, and everybody's you know, like, oh, AJ is the only person they have left. Brandon LaFell is a quality player. Tyler Boyd, I think, is still going to surprise some people. And I know quality evaluators slash scouts that are way more knowledgeable and better at their jobs than me that think that exact same thing about Tyler Boyd. So I, I really like Dalton. I, I think he could he could break out in a major way. And he, he, it's not like he's ever had a horrible year. What, what do you think about those quarterbacks, match pairing them up with those elite wide receivers? I like it generally, but it is a risky strategy. I mean, especially come the playoff time, if you're, you know, if you're got uh, Eli Manning and Odell Beckham, then all of a sudden you're facing a top defense like Carolina or somebody like that. It can be a little bit risky and scary. Or he's got to go up against Josh Norman in Washington. <laughs> um, so let's take a look at the. Uh, this Scott, or actually, let's go on to the next question here, and we'll get the Scott Fishbowl up. Um, if is there a player, Nick, last year that you were kind of like, I don't, I don't want any part of this guy. You're kind of staying away from him, but now, now maybe this year in in mocks and in startups types of things, uh, you, you've kind of changed your tune. Uh, there's a few of them, yes. Uh, one of them, sometimes we can get so concerned over a player's risk that we overlook his upside, and that's exactly how I was last year with Todd Gurley. Thankfully, I did not have any picks high enough in drafts to be able to pass on him. Uh, at quarterback, uh, it's got to be Kirk Cousins. You know, maybe I was still blinded by my love for 2012's Robert Griffin, but I was definitely a Cousins hater heading into last season. And then at wide receiver, i got to go with your boy, Josh Michael Crabtree. Uh, you look at his time in San Francisco. He had only had one of six seasons over 1,000 yards. 
no years with double-digit touchdowns, and in the last two seasons in San Francisco, he combined for under 1,000 yards in 21 total games. Then he was going to a new system, a new team in Oakland, with a second-year quarterback. So, you know, of course, Michael Crabtree went out and tied his career high with 85 catches and nine touchdowns and had over 900 yards. So definitely Crabtree's a guy I'm way higher on this year than last. Yeah, just a solid a solid option there, you know. He and I was thinking about Crabtree too earlier this week. You know, for all intents and purposes, he's he's probably the best offensive player to come out of that, you know, what was the Mike Leach system there at Texas Tech. Not really necessarily a a friendly translation and now now of course run by their former quarterback Luke Kingsbury. But a lot of those players haven't translated at the NFL level very well and even if they gotten the chance, you know, Jay Samara was another guy where everybody because it was a vacuum and caught a thousand passes at Texas Tech was just gonna translate into the beast, but he's certainly had his growing pains and health issues too. But yeah yeah, Crabtree, you know, especially paired with a, a guy that looks to be falling into the the elite, at least I would say probably top 15, top maybe top 10 category in Amari Cooper. You got you got to look at those guys. I kind of feel the same way about uh, uh, about Robert Woods. I, I've, I've always kind of been on the Robert Woods train, but I just feel like, you know, even with Watkins being digged up, he becomes a little bit more, Desirable, and with Watkins back, I think he's a guy that could certainly be uh, be very, very good. Uh, Devontae Freeman was the guy that nobody saw come out of last year, and I talked about him in the Q and A this this week too. So, they, we, just just be wary of those guys that you know. Uh, like you, same thing with Crabtree. Everybody was just like, uh, you know, there was a slight little bump I think for Crabtree in ADP when Oakland signed him, um, just because he was going to get that opportunity. But uh, yeah, beyond. Beyond that, I don't think anybody really held out much hope that he was going to do anything uh, for that off. I'm not not necessarily not anything, but just not not do what, especially what he did. So, let's look at these Scott Fish mocks, Nick. Um, any anything stick out to you? There's two different ones that I was involved in here. I do like the fact that I was able to get DeAndre Hopkins in the first round in one, and then I scored him in the second round in the other one. Uh, but just so you were aware, Scott Fishbowl is a super flex, meaning you can use a quarterback, wide receiver, or running back. I think even tight end in in a flex position. So obviously, a lot of people like to start two quarterbacks because they're going to score a lot more points. Um, just a half point PPR, but uh, running backs also get point two five carry. So those big breadwinners like uh, Adrian Peterson are certainly worth a little bit more. Uh, Carlos Hyde gets a little bit more love in the league like this. And anything jump out to you? And let's, let's just look at the first one here. That one that uh, started uh, – the first one, the one that started out with Todd Gurley. Uh, that would be the same one, yeah. Yep. Um, well, it surprised me that uh, Andrew Luck, the fourth quarterback off the board, lasted all the way until the second round, first pick in the second round. But still, uh, you know, in a quarterback flex league like that, uh, that's pretty good value. Uh, Rob Gronkowski falling all the way to 2.11, that surprised me. Uh, Mike Evans, T.Y. Hilton, Brandon Cooks were the last three picks in the third round. So there was lots of good value to be had late. Uh, you go even later than that, John Brown, who had over 1,000 yards last year, uh, lasted until the eighth round. Jeremy Hill, the ninth round of those uh, for a couple of great value picks, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, to make to make people realize what kind of how kind of crazy it gets, you know, the the fifth quarterback off the board was Drew Brees in the two point zero six, and then Philip. I took that was my pick on Brees, and I took 
Philip Rivers at 3.07, and in between there, Carr, Bortles, Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer all went. So that's and then Tom Brady and Kirk Cousins right after my Philip Rivers pick. So that's kind of how, and that's all like in the first, you know, it's all picks 3.07 and above. So that's how QB centric it is. Um, I was also able to score Eddie Lacy in, in both of these drafts, I believe. In the I guess I got took Eddie Lacy in the third and one and the fourth and other, but I think that's great value. Obviously, it's a little bit different, and I'm not going to probably have to spend a second round picking any other type of format, but that. Great value, especially with that point two five per carry there, don't you think, Nick? Oh, definitely, definitely. And, you know, especially when you look at all the reports today, Lacey's in much better shape this offseason than he was last year. He could be primed for a breakout year. Yeah, contract year, too, I believe, for Mr. Lacey. So um, the second one, a little bit different, uh, as Bill Latton started this out with Cam Newton right off the top, which is obviously hilarious because Bill does not like Cam Newton, but it is the format. Uh, followed by Russell Wilson, second overall. Then Antonio Brown, then Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck. Those are all of the first six picks. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> end of the first round, 1.11, right in front of Julio Jones. Only format you're going to see anything remotely close to that. Don't you me? Oh, definitely. And you mentioned Andrew Luck. Uh, he's still the fourth quarterback off the board, but in this one he went a full half round uh, earlier, 1.06, then he did another draft. Um, this was the draft you got DeAndre Hopkins at 2.09. That is just a steal. Uh, the same goes with Amari Cooper at 3.11. That's insane that he lasted that long. Uh, and you look at a bunch of quarterbacks that lasted until the fourth round. Carson Palmer, Eli Manning, Derek Carr, Philip Rivers, and Matt Stafford all went in round four for teams either waiting on a quarterback or loading up on the second quarterback. Yeah, and I, I remember I was in a two-QB league last year uh, with the Fantasy Taz and a bunch of his friends. And my fourth and fifth-round picks were Andy Dalton and uh, Jay Cutler. So, uh, And that was the league that I almost ran the table in until Bruce Kimbrough throttled me in the championship game. But I would have had a complete, perfect fantasy season. But uh, So – that being said, I mean, both of those guys missed time last year, and so it, it can be done. Obviously, that's a different format at a full full IDP. But, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have those two quarterbacks, but, you know, don't don't get crazy. And it's interesting, the one that started out with the two quarterback quarterbacks going one-two, that the rest of those guys lasted much later. It took, maybe it took the pressure off everybody else from those those big names went in the went in the first round, including Ben Roethlisberger. Obviously, somebody saw that. Like, well, if Roethlisberger's going there, I, I, I maybe I can wait. I don't know if that's making sense, but that's kind of kind of how it indeed did happen there. So, uh, let's do a little plant your flag or wash your hands. Nick. Wide receiver three edition, like I said. Obviously, Rashard Matthews can see a little bit more time than I'm expecting, but what, what do you think about Mr. Matthews here now that he's a Tennessee Titan? Well, I mean, if you have him, you're not going to be cutting him, but if you can get a decent trade offer, I think by all means take it. Yeah, ignore the contract money that he got. Yeah, he had a career-high 662 yards and four touchdowns last year. Now he's playing on a run-oriented team with a young quarterback and you know, a, a lot of young competition there, receiver competing for targets. So I, I think if I could get a, a good offer for him, I would wash my hands. Yeah, it's a weird thing because you you just you, you expect obviously Tennessee has a role for him since they ponied up that kind of money for him, but 
yeah, obviously he's not a guy that you can drop yet, but I I wouldn't be surprised if he's one and done in Tennessee, especially if he doesn't, you know, really prove that he's a, he's a solid wide receiver too in, in this format. So or in this on this team, excuse me. Um, Jermaine Kirsch in Seattle, you know, everybody's Matt Harmon made Tyler Lockett his breakout player. So every and he Matt Harmon's knowledgeable and he said the same thing about Allen Robinson last year and we saw that so everybody's all over Tyler Lockett Doug Baldwin got paid Ricardo Lockett has, is cut but but Curse is basically wide receiver three left on Seattle what do you think about Mr. Curse? Well Curse was a deeper guy that I really liked last year but after the emergence of Tyler Lockett and you know hopefully they're going to have a healthy Jimmy Graham there and they drafted uh, CJ Forsyth who's supposed to expect to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield I'm a lot less optimistic this year about Jermaine Curse. I, I think I would wash my hands unless I was super thin at wide receiver Yeah and he's the guy that looks like I feel like every mock he's around like the, he gets drafted in like the last two rounds of every mock that I do um, and not a bad value there, obviously. Anybody's just a shot in the dark there. But, yeah, I think it's pretty fair unless, you know, unless maybe unless you start like six wide receivers in your format. He's probably a guy that that you, you could drop. I mean, if you own Lockett and Baldwin, he's probably not a bad player to have around the bench. But you're only starting if, if one of those guys is hurt. Um, DeAndre Smelter, no. These next couple guys are both San Francisco guys. Um, one was brought in after Chip Kelly got named their coach, or actually right before it. And Smelter obviously wasn't drafted, but they knew they were going to draft him as potentially a retro year, and that's what happened with Mr. Smelter. They didn't run him back. Um, I believe he has something like 19-inch hands, ridiculous-sized hands, and a very, a very solid blocker. Could potentially be that Jordan Matthews type of player in the Chip Kelly scheme. Not saying he is Jordan Matthews, but he's gonna, but has the opportunity to fulfill that role as kind of that big slot receiver. What do you think about Mr. Smelter there? But did I sell you enough on him? Well, like you mentioned, they they used the fourth round pick last year on him, knowing that it would probably be a redshirt year, which it ended up being. I think I would tentatively plant my flag. You know, not as a starter, of course, but as a nice little stash at the end of your roster. Uh, six foot two, two hundred twenty seven pounds, and he's a really good blocker, like you mentioned which in a Chip Kelly scheme, that helps you get on the field, just look at uh, Josh Huff last year. Uh, you know, we may not see him break out until 2017 because he was considered kind of raw coming out of that Georgia Tech scheme. And there's a chance that he never does break out, but I think he's got enough physical tools that I have no problem planting my flag as a stash. Mm-hmm. There has been some reports floating around, and maybe just because he wasn't a guy brought in by Kelly that he could – he could be on the roster bubble. I, I don't really believe that. And like, well, like we've said multiple times, anything, any stories to see the off season are not really uh, huge. And I think if he gets cut, he's going to get picked up by somebody pretty quickly, just because they've seen his attributes and uh, he, he's certainly a, ni- a nice multiple piece, moldable piece. But to have that that blocking background, and I think it is actually like 11 inch hands, is, is pretty awesome. Uh, sticking in San Francisco, a guy that I could potentially see fighting for that big slot position with Smelter, a former, uh, excuse me, Canadian football leaguer, uh, Eric Rogers. Like I said, I'm pretty sure he was signed just before they got Kelly. I could could be wrong on that, but uh, there's a little bit of a – he's kind of the Duran Carter, you know, maybe DeAndre Smelter of 
last year. He's he's kind of that guy this year. What do you think about Eric Rodgers? Well, Rodgers has good size, six foot three, two hundred ten, and like you mentioned, he's a great CFL player. But for every CFL guy who succeeds, there's another ten who don't make it out of training camp. Uh, that being said, with the lack of depth at wide receiver in San Francisco, he does have a better than average shot of actually making the team. I do understand why someone would plant their flag, but I personally, I I got to refrain. You know, he's got the subpar quarterback situation. Even if he does climb the depth chart past the players with higher pedigrees, so I'm just not a believer in Eric Rodgers. And it is weird with this San Francisco team. There's all these big guys and then all these tiny guys. I mean, you know, even Torrey, Torrey Smith is a little bit taller for the wide receiver. And then it's like you're either 6'2 and higher or 5'10 and shorter. And so it'll be interesting to see what who they break with, with this camp. And if you want more on uh, the San Francisco wide receivers, we wrote a great piece about the Chip Kelly scheme there, me, Jamie Will, and uh, guest author Alex Kirby. We wrote a great piece on every, basically every player in that offense that potentially could make the roster. So make sure you go and check. Address even some of those no-name wide receivers. Um, what about Mr. Cole Beasley, Nick? I mean, we've seen some flashes, but I, I just don't know, you know how you're trusting him. Obviously, if you're a Des or Tor- a Terrence Williams owner, it's a nice it's a nice piece to have in case one of those guys gets hurt. But what are you thinking? Well, did you know amongst the four and twelve Dallas Cowboys wide receivers last year, Cole Beasley was number one in touchdowns and tied for number one in receptions amongst the receivers. You know, I might actually prefer Beasley to Terrence Williams, considering the uh, how how much later you could get him in a startup at this point. I, I think I would plant my flag for the value that you get there with Cole Beasley. Really better than Terrence Williams. I just, I, know I mean, straight up, straight up, it, I would go Terrence Williams. But I think since you could get Beasley a lot later in a draft or for less, you know, in a in a trade, I think value wise, I would go Beasley. Mm-hmm. And you know, even with Dez and Terrence fully healthy, he's kind of a lost guy in that offense. Um, I have cut ties with him in a couple leagues, um, but both of those leagues I'm in a huge, a huge rebuild. So I, I, I just want no part of the those older guys. If I can, you know, fill fill it with a, a younger piece that I I believe in. So I, I don't fault anybody for cutting cutting Beasley. Excuse me, if you are in that particular type of situation. But uh, otherwise, I think. Uh, you know, if you're if you're contending, especially if you own Des or Terrence Williams, he's a guy that you should keep around, just because he still he holds value with and without those guys healthy. Um, oh, Justin Hardy. <laughs> if there was one guy that was that I own the most shares out of the last rookie draft, it's, it's Justin Hardy. Nick, what do you got for me? Is it good news? Well, he only had 21 catches for 194 yards and zero touchdowns as a rookie, but now with Roddy White and Leonard Hankerson both gone, I think Hardy is at the very least Atlanta's wide receiver three, and he could conceivably beat out Muhammad Sanu, who both of us like Sanu, but I think we're kind of in the minority of the fantasy community. Uh, You know, we We've been so accustomed the last couple of years to these wide receivers being so good right out the gates that we forget that normally it does take a year or two for wide receivers to develop in the NFL. So he's definitely a guy I would consider to – I would still plant my flag. Mm-hmm. And any time you see a wide receiver 
get a hundred catches at the collegiate level like Justin Hardy did, you got to you got to take notice. I mean, he did that with. I mean, his quarterback's not even going to sniff the an NFL training camp, much less get drafted. You know, so I there's there's a part of him that is able to work with with subpar talent around him. And and shine and look like the best player on the field. And I'm pretty sure he has the most receptions in ECU history, maybe even that young conference's history. But yeah, he, he's a guy that he's a little bit on the shorter end at, at the five ten. But he's not gonna he's not gonna back down from anybody. And if if he gets cooking, especially with, with Julio alongside of him, I think he could certainly do some really really good things. I'm not saying he's Antonio Brown, but maybe you know, maybe he's the Santana Moss type of player that's going to show you some flashes, or maybe a Lavernius Coles type of player. I hate to always go with the Santana Moss because I just don't like those Miami Hurricanes. Nothing against your Washington Redskins there, but I'll throw in the Lavernius Coles Seminoles <laughs> Seminoles comparison there, Nick. Uh, what do you think about Seth Roberts? Talk me down. I love this guy. What do you got? Oh, I do too. I'm definitely planting my flag here. You know, at six foot two, he can be used in the red zone. Uh, his 15 yards per catch last year shows that he can also be a big play guy. He's got an up and coming quarterback and Derek Carr, and he's a wide receiver three on a team where the wide receiver two, Michael Crabtree, has a, a quite a bit of an injury history. So, I mean, there's lots of upside to have here with Seth Roberts. Definitely a plant your flag. Mm. An absolute gem found by Mr. Uh, Reggie McKenzie. I want to – I wish I could – I don't even know what college he came from. Nobody was even talking about this guy. And out of the scrap heap, Reggie emerges uh, uh, Seth Roberts to be the wide receiver three to beat out, you know, the piles of garbage that are Rod Streeter and uh, who's that other tall guy that can't stay on the team? Andre Holmes. Yeah, so I, I think I can straight up ball. And maybe it's because he plays alongside Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. But he, he's he's a nice piece to have around. What – and I know it's a. I know he's a lot younger, than Nick. So let's say you're at around, you know, 28 of a startup. So you know you're not rebuilding. What are you going to do, Cole Beasley or Seth Roberts? They're about the same ADP. Oh, I'm taking Seth Roberts over Cole Beasley every single time. Unless maybe, I, like you mentioned, if I had a Des Bryant or Terrence uh, Williams already, then maybe maybe Cole Beasley. But still, I, under most circumstances, go Seth Roberts. Okay, last one before Chris joins us is um, is the ship sailed by Marquise Wilson there in Chicago? Uh, I think so. He's never played more than eleven games in a season. Uh, six foot four, hundred ninety nine pounds. That's that's pretty skinny. It's gonna you know that might be one of the reasons that he's been struggled to hold up physically. Uh, plus, he suffered the broken foot in minicamp, so he could start the season on the PUP list. So even if he's healthy, he's probably no better than Chicago's wide receiver four. Yeah, I would definitely watch my hands there. Yeah, I think uh, what is his, what is the Royal Eddie Royal still around there? They drafted Daniel Braverman, who was a seventh rounder, but I, I believe he's going to make the roster. I, I love this kid. If you don't if you don't know much about Braverman, just just go to draft breakdown and check check him out. Watch him run routes. He just carves up the field. Just just a super talented player. So uh, yeah, Wilson is. I always thought he was too thin to hold up, and like Nick said, he only played 11 games, as high as 11 games in one season. So I think he's a easily a player that you can you can cut loose. I I think even if you're holding like 
Kevin White, Braverman, and Royal on a team. It's, it's fair to to draft Wilson. He's just—I just don't see much future there. And especially he's going to start the year on the PUP list. He's probably wanting a part of that. So, okay. So we have uh, Mr. Chris Hickson on the line. So I'll patch him through. Chris, are you there? Hello. I'm here. Hey. How are you? Good. Good. It is Chris Hickson, a pro quarterback coach. Uh, QBTV Passing Academy and the QBX Experience. Did I get all that right, Chris? You do. You, you've got everything right. I think uh, you might throw in their QBTV. We basically it goes like this: we've we've got a school that we train one on one and also in group, and that's our the Passing Academy. And then we've got a camp series that where we we go around the country and we try to find the best quarterbacks. But the main thing is we want to develop them. We don't want to simply, simply like all the other camps, or most of them, we where they rank them. We actually want to develop them. Um, and then lastly, uh, we have an internet brand where we try to let everybody know how to get better by using our um, our flagship product, which is Digital Diagnostics. It's a split screen, thirty six key position program that you throw right next to a pro, and it tells you what you got to work on. So it's a it's a pretty cool software package. Okay, and what level of athletes are you working with there, Chris? So basically, we've we've got high school guys. We've got guys that all, go all the way down to ten years old. I've even had a guy um, that wanted me to train his six year old, and he said, <laughs> "You know, he goes, I listened to your advice. I I, I went and watched, you know, uh, I think it was uh, what is it, thirty for thirty for uh, House of Peyton or House of Manning, whatever it was." And uh, basically what it talked about was from day one, the immersion into the NFL um, situation as a standard. You know, his co- his dad was already in the NFL, knew how to study game film, knew everything that was important to be great, and he just grew up in an expectation. It was like breathing air. You don't think about breathing oxygen. He just knew he was going to be in the NFL. But that was from day one. And, his, and so this guy wanted me to train his kid who was six years old um, in the same situation, just try to play around and do football things, keep it fun. And uh, even though it's a little aggravating for me, but at the same time, it's actually a great idea. So, but then I, you know, I've got call, I got a Georgia Tech kid here now, as we speak, and I've also got a couple pro guys. So, okay, all levels. Yeah, very. Very interesting stuff, and I'm sure there's different evaluations there for everybody. But how how do you first like evaluate a quarterback when they come to you? The very first thing I do day one is I'm going to put them on video. Um, us as guys, we are very we learn quickly through visual aids, and there's nothing more valuable than watching yourself uh, on on video. And then if you can have somebody critique that knows what they're talking about saying here's what you're doing wrong and right, it's become very apparent when somebody sits there and discusses the biomechanics of the throw, the biomechanics, the requirements, and the, the different body actions of what's supposed to happen, how it's supposed to happen, then measuring how far it is out of place, and then giving a, basically a training priority based on the results of that first, that first video. And then we do assessments as we go with the same, same scenario. Okay, you're listening to Chris Hickson, professional quarterback trainer here on the Dynasty Pulse. Nick, do you have any questions for Chris? 
Well, I was curious. Is there a point in the quarterback's career where their throwing motion is pretty much set in stone due to muscle memory, or do you see guys in their late 20s and even 30s uh, improving their techniques? So that's that's a, a great question. I mean, pretty much when you hit when you hit puberty, it is one of the hardest things to change uh, to the right throwing motion because your ligaments, your tendons, everything, your joints, everything tightens around the current groove, the th- current throwing groove that you have. And so it becomes a little bit harder to change. Now, when that happens, it's not that it can't change. It's just that I, I'm the only guy I've ever met in my life that does a PT move where I call it the throwing groove that I re-groove the rotator cuff to be able to still achieve the elbow requirements. So, and the elbow is the number one reason you're going to throw strike after strike. So, and there's certain requirements of elbow um, altitude and and timing and positioning where it has to come through correctly. So, basically, uh, I would say that's the key moment. We need to make sure that we have that right throwing technique by that age. If not, you got a lot of reps to do to get it right. <laughs> yeah, but you, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was, that was kind of my next question. Was what 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 were what is the hardest thing to mold? You kind of said that with the throwing motion. Is there is there something else that is, is really hard to to like maybe a bad habit for a kid to break? Well, Nick, I, I'll tell you this one. Probably the the worst habit of all is that every every single person has it, and it's the most unfortunate thing. There is so much, and you know. I'm going to tell you, I've been coached over probably by over 40 or 50 coaches collegiately and and professionally at the position of quarterback, and not one of them has ever presented me the position mentally like it's supposed to be presented. Um, And that means that football as an industry does not detail it enough. And here's my point to that. So if I'm looking – put it like this. It's more about the physical – requirements of the position do you do you move correctly do you throw correctly is your technique your accuracy is everything on point um the coach wants you to do a progression you know i want you to check the high safety first if the route the deep route's not there come down the front side low if that, they take that away come back to the uh, back side where you're going to read hook flat zone you know and you're going to throw either high or low based on that and that's a true check four system and really no one's ever going to run check four no one's ever going to get through that super smooth without elimination. So what I do is I create an actual elimination process pre-snap. And I, I know it's kind of hard to, uh, without visuals to show you, but if I had a post, uh, two receivers to the left and two receivers to the right, and let's say I had a post route, which is just a deep inside move uh, by one receiver on the left, and then if I had a, an out route by the, the, guy, the other receiver on the left. So it's kind of like a high-low right there. And then on the right side, I had a hook, which is just a, let's say he goes up 12 yards and he looks at me, just stops and comes back to me. And then my underneath guy runs, let's say, a flat. If I walk to the line of scrimmage and I notice there was no receiver, no free safety in the middle, which means it can't be one or three, it's either coverage is zero, two, four, or six, then I notice, I notice that the safeties are even at 13, 14 yards in depth with skinny feet, and my corners are within five yards. 
that right there tells me it's cover two, and that gives me two, four, six, seven, bay nine as potential routes. And so bottom line is, what that means is the, the post route doesn't work, the out doesn't work, the flat doesn't work. It only, the only one that works is the curl. I don't have to go through a check four system. I already know the routes that they're taking away based on the coverage. We don't teach that enough. So that means the broadcast booth is going to be up there saying, whoa, that guy went through four checks. His anticipation was unbelievable. Wow, that quarterback is unreal. And the whole bottom line is I knew pre- it's like Peyton Manning. Why can the guy who's the slowest man in the NFL, the worst athlete in the NFL, the weakest arm in the NFL, still dominate in, in enough to bring home the Super Bowl championship? Because he puts his team in the best situation. He knows where the ball is going to go before he even snaps it. That's it. I wish we valued that more. And we don't. We value the sweat more than the brain. Wow, very, very good point. Very different, a different aspect on that. I mean, that was very, very good point. I think you maybe lost me a little bit in there, but uh, I came back around. So, uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure other people out there probably, really, if you're, if you're an X's and O's guys, probably understood that a little bit better. Um, this is, this is a really kind of a weird question, but. Uh, how important is it for a quarterback to have have a poker face? I I, I asked this question because, and it, it not like it was a big difference, but Super Bowl I think forty eight uh, Patriots Seahawks. Um, Tom Brady walks up to the line and he just looks to his right and sees that Seattle has put KJ Wright on Rob Gronkowski and. You see, I mean, you see Brady just like smile, and you know exactly where the ball's going to go. And lo and behold, Gronkowski scores a touchdown. I mean, is obviously, I don't know, maybe that's a bad example, but he didn't have a poker face there, and I think everybody in the world knew it was going there. Maybe, you know, maybe they should have covered him a little bit better. But is that, is that an important aspect? Well, a poker face is always important, and puppeteering is is important, and, go, and that goes along with it. Um, when we say poker face, yeah, you shouldn't what we call stare down wide receivers. And that's kind of showing your hand of what you want to do, right? So, for instance, let's give you a real simple one. If I had a free safety in the middle of the field and he's about 15 yards away, which means he's pretty deep. So, and I've got two inside wide receivers, meaning the right, let's say they're just going to run kind of on the hash not outside near the numbers. They're going to run on the hashes. Two guys, in their, they're on the outside of the free safety, right? So if the free safety goes to the guy on the right, I'm going to throw it to the guy on the left, right? That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And then, or if the free safety goes to the guy on the left, I'll throw it to the right. So as, as they just run go routes, straight streak routes. So I would drop back, and instead of staring down the guy I'm going to throw to, I'm going to stare at the guy I'm not going to throw to. And as I see that out of my peripheral, see that safety make his first step towards or open his hips towards that receiver, then I would just instantly come back and hit at 23, 22 yards right on the rail to the guy on the left. It's, I mean, and, and that's essentially, you don't stare guys down. You give a poker face, a bluff face, you might say, yeah. and, and look opposite. No, I feel like uh... – because we're we're a fantasy site, we watch a lot of 
we watch a lot of college film evaluating uh, rookies in, in this dynasty format that we love. I feel like you see that a lot with quarterbacks at the collegiate level. It was I remember reading a scouting report many years ago, and maybe the first time I ever saw the word bird dog used correctly, and that Carson Palmer tends to bird dog as top receiver. Is that common just because they they – they have that one wide receiver on their team that's obviously going to be an NFL player and everybody else is just, uh, you know, open when they're open, that type of thing. Or is that – when you see that at the collegiate level, what, is, what does that tell you? Is that concerning to you? Well, I, what, what do we mean when we see that we throw to one guy most of the time? When he's just – oh, yeah, that's the one guy that he's always watching. Right. Um, well – I mean, the problem with that is the offense is probably very keyed into your best athlete, your best wide receiver. So you'll put him at the uh, the first read quite often. I mean, you still follow a read system, right? You check this, check mm-hmm. that. There are going to be some times that you have either or. You can just, you know, you have two go routes on the outside and you're supposed to throw to the tightest corner. Sure. Um, but the bottom line is, you normally have a read system where, uh, you know, a guy, your best wide receiver is obviously going to be your first look in that read system. So it's just kind of the way the, the way the cookie crumbles on that one. It just happens to be, it was my first read. It was open. Okay. Nick, any more questions there? Well, we hear sometimes about uh, the difficulty of some quarterbacks have transitioning from the college spread offenses into the NFL more pro-style offenses. Can you give us some insight into why um, some players have that kind of struggle? Is it a mental thing? Is it a footwork thing? All of the above? It's uh, it's three things. It's um, not, The very first and most important thing is footwork. It, Bill Walsh said it, uh, said it the best, and it, it, I don't need to see the game film at all. I don't need to see the end of the routes. Just show me the game film on the quarterback's footwork, and I can tell you whether or not that team won. The bottom line is, if your footwork, if you constantly drop back a three-step and the ball comes out, you great balance, right? One, two, three, ball, or say a five-step. One, two, three, four, five, ball, right? That is on time, what we consider on time. And if you can imagine, if I throw like that every single time, right on the receiver's break or before the receiver breaks and the ball hits him right when he breaks – then the defense doesn't have any time to react. That is the most important thing you can do as a quarterback and wide receiver. Have great timing because you can't defend that, number one. So footwork is number one, and unfortunately shotgun offenses have really messed up footwork. In fact, the past two combines, the combine experts have said, these are the worst two years of footwork we have ever gotten into the NFL, ever. And it's because of shotgun. That's, that's the first thing I got to tell you. Second thing is when we, because of the shotgun offense, your left shoulder is open when you catch the, the, the football from the center. And if you're constantly like that, you are not very, you're, you're not innately getting closed to written down range, which closed means being 90 degrees with your shoulders to target. If that makes any sense to you guys, if, so I need to be sideways. Like golfers, they don't they don't sit there and square face the, where they're hitting the ball, right? They're turned ninety degrees away from where they're hitting it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is, when we're under shotgun, we're wide open. So we're we're actually throwing worse to the right than we used to 
we don't get closed to the right side as well. So that's another poor thing that we're having. Thirdly, the mental, the mental part of the game, the, um, the spread offense, great offense in, it, in its understanding of, of certain things. They spread open the defense, cause a lot of holes. You can't do it as much in the NFL because uh, you'll notice that, like when Spurrier came up, they had a lot of protection issues, if you remember. Um, they had protection issues when they uh, tried to run uh, their the Spurrier offense in, in, um, in D.C. But not that those are the same offenses as spread, but they same similar protections. And the same, so when you have those, those protections that are weak side and they don't have blitz pickups and they're not full protected at times, then you're going to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So the bottom line is it just creates, you know, a, a game of statistics. You're going to get hit more as a quarterback. So, um, the, you know, so that it, it just it just hurts us a little bit because we're coming from a, a different type of exercise in those teams from college to pro. And, you know, the pro is a very thick book of a lot of information. So there is some transfer, obviously, of knowledge that's um, – the game's faster, but that's never changed. It's always been fast. It's really just bottom line is it's those three things, the mental side, the footwork, and closing the right shoulder to target. Those are the problems. Well, yeah, and I feel like the footwork combined with the timing not only helps the wide receivers, but it helps the, the offensive line as we see these you know enormous athletes on the become these edge rushers in the NFL. It helps that offensive line, too. I remember uh, Ross Tucker wrote an amazing piece last maybe two years ago now about, of course, he's an offensive lineman, so he says at a certain point the sack becomes the quarterback's fault if he doesn't get rid of the ball, basically, is what he said. So I think timing, going to say timing helps that as well. I'm sorry, it cut out on me on that one. What was that now? I was just saying, wouldn't you think that timing, good footwork and timing not only helps the right oh. receivers, but it helps your offensive line too? The linemen, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There is no doubt about that. I mean, can you imagine a lineman having to protect the quarterback for five seconds instead of two point two? I mean, it would be it, it would be insane. Of course, it helps him out without a doubt. That, a great assumption. Uh, great, great uh, statement right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, here I'll give you an example. I'll give you a great example in the uh, Super Bowl. The best throw that Cam Newton had all game was the slant to the right. Because he caught the ball, took a delay step, and threw it right on time. It just went. All he did was catch the ball from center, put the right foot in the ground, and throw the ball to the slant. Be, who, was, who was irrelevant? The D-line was irrelevant. And they only did that, I think, one time, maybe twice. And that right there is the reason that they lost the game is because they only did that once or twice. What do you have to do to a great pass rush? That is, you've got to get the ball out of your hands as soon as possible. And he just dropped back, and he would gather, 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 and then finally make a decision to throw, and by that time, Von Miller was on. Absolutely, yeah. Um, do you Have you seen over the years, I guess we're, we're about the same age. Uh, I won't say the age, but we're about the same age. Have you noticed a, um, a trend with more – Maybe just the area of the country that I live in, in in the Midwest here, but do you feel like there's more high school kids throwing now? 
than than back in the back in the you know let's say the 80s that when I think high school offenses are about 80 90 percent rushing. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Every, I mean, there's so many so many uh, shotgun offenses they're uh, they're throwing. And speaking about that, you know, I have a guy uh, who actually came out of a triple option offense in high school at Marist, who, and I think their coach has like. 320 wins or whatnot, and he's now at Georgia Tech. His name's Chase Martinson. If you guys would like to ask him a couple questions, how, how what, what the uh, difference is from running, you know, a, a, an offense in high school from triple to throwing a little bit at Georgia Tech, even though they run quite a bit, and at the same uh-huh. time, you know, working in my system, he he would love to talk to you guys. Chase Martinson. Sure. Sure. Cool. Hold on one second, guys. Oh, he's there. Hello. Uh, we're talk- Hey, Chase, this is uh, uh, Josh. You're on with Nick and Josh from the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Uh, Chris awesome. was just mentioned that you came from a, a triple option offense, and now you're trying to kind of learn learn different traits about the quarterback position. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, sir. Well, yeah, I, um, I came from triple option high school, so I didn't really throw too much. So Chris for the Bat Academy told me so much because at Tech, of course, we run the triple option, but – when we throw the ball, we, well, I mean, we have to throw the ball, and we gotta, we gotta make big plays out of it. So, like, just Chris helped me so much with that anticipation and just really knowing not only what my receivers doing, but how the defense is gonna play it. It's just that anticipation when I get to the line, I see their coverage, I know what they're gonna do before they do it, and it just, it helps me so much, just be able to make plays and just, and just play the game really. Nick, any questions there? Um, which has been more difficult uh, as far as making that tr- the transition, the physical side of the game or the mental side? I would definitely say the mental because we've got great great com- competition and weight training over at Georgia Tech and everything that really helps us prepare physically. But the mental side, like, a lot of that, the coaches help you, but you got to be in the film room yourself. you got to be doing that extra work. And a lot of the time – and you need help with that. And Chris just helps so much with that and being able to get that extra work and really just drilling your brain on a playbook, on just like on schemes and everything. It's just helped so much. Okay. Um, what, uh, what have you, what have you learned? I mean, Chris talked a lot about footwork. What, what, how how has that changed? I mean, what what have you what have you learned with with that? And I mean, obviously you got to have pretty pretty good fleet footwork to to run that triple option. How has that changed, or how has Chris tried to work with that at all? Right. Yeah. We we do a lot of resistance work and band work, just eliminating wasted steps because because oh, you don't have time to have wasted steps. You gotta gotta be efficient downhill fast, so that because the game is fast, you gotta be able to play at a higher speed. So you can make plays, and Chris just helped help so much with that. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us against Chase Martinson, Georgia Tech redshirt sophomore quarterback. Thank you, Les. You can put Chris back on things. Yeah, I'll grab him. Appreciate the opportunity. No problem. Hi, right, here he is. Hey guys. Hey Chris. Um, just uh, one one more question. Um, sure. I just I thought it, I thought I would throw this at you. We we had a question in our question we have an expert Q&A here uh, 
we do every week. And uh, the question was basically uh, Blake Bortles versus Derek Carr. What, what, what can you maybe speak on that real quick and just see what you see in those guys and maybe who you would prefer? Well, I mean, you know, if we just go by time, it, you know, obviously we're, we're very well built uh, uh, from the environment, right? What other players do we have around us, uh, you know, from the front office down? Are we designed to win, play, you know, from each position? But, and so from a, I, I don't know the internals that well to know enough, but if I was sitting here on where I'm sitting, I would sit here and say I'd take Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles has a great – I mean, you're talking about the landscape of what he looks like, the way he throws, his measurables are unbelievable. Um, and I know Carr as well is – you know, he's a great quarterback as well. It's just has Carr, you know, done enough yet to prove to me that he's a great quarterback? I don't know. Maybe it's time to, uh, you know, see what see what Bortles does uh, over the next few years, and, and I bet you he, he'll probably – my guess is he'll do a little bit better. Okay. Cool. Yeah, actually, our four experts on that panel all said Bortles, too. So, I guess I guess we're in the in the right with our quarterback evaluation at this point. And I even said Bortles, and I'm a Raider fan. So, uh, <laughs> just a, a good insight. So, Chris, we thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's Chris Hickson. Uh, professional QB trainer, and that was Georgia Tech quarterback Chase Martinson. Thank you for putting Chase on for a few questions, too. That was awesome. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, and hopefully we, we can have you come back on. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Uh, great stuff there from from Chris uh, Chris Hickson, and pretty cool to get a chance to talk to our sophomore, redshirt sophomore quarterback there at Georgia Tech, Chase Martinson. Um Maybe we'll look back on that a few years and be like, wow, we got to talk to that guy. Um, and with Chris as his trainer, I think I think, uh, I think we potentially will. So that's uh, uh, very cool. And any, any thoughts there, Nick? No, just that, like you said, very, very cool that he was able to put Chase on the phone. And, yeah, really neat to have the opportunity to, to ask him a couple questions. Yeah, good, good insights. Uh, like I said, a little bit of the – pretty heavy there uh, for me at certain points, but uh, I'll, I always go back and listen, so maybe I'll get a little bit more out of it then. Uh, but uh, like I said, it came back around there eventually. So uh, speaking of quarterbacks, I don't know how we're going to do uh, compared to that, but uh, we got a quarterback dilemma this week, going a little old quarterback style, Eli versus Carson Palmer. I had the chance to go first, um, and I chose Eli. Not only because I love to hear Nick bash on him, but uh, just uh, that was that was my choice. I feel like Carson maybe just gets a little bit too much credit, but uh, we'll leave it at that. So I think, whoops, here we have uh, quite possibly the two worst active games to interception ratios. Uh, both of these guys have thrown more interceptions than games played. That's where I'm going out with that. So. I guess that makes them both gunslingers, right? At least they're not skittish. Uh, simplistically, Eli is just a little bit younger, and as are his weapons. Larry Legend is old, like Carson himself, and what I mean, seriously, what have they got? Like six weeks left together. Eli has at least three more seasons with Odell and Sterling Shepard. 
Michael Floyd will be chasing the money at season's end, and the five foot seven John Brown is basically, you know, somewhere between Muggsy Bowes and Spud Webb. Obviously, I'm embossing a little bit there, but uh, they they say quality quarterbacks make those around them better. But how? But now Eli has talented wide receivers to make him better. Now I really don't want to go uh, to go there. But to say Eli is not quality is pretty ridiculous, and he has and he has the bling to prove it. In fact, Eli has more Super Bowl wins too than Carson Palmer has playoff victories one, and that came just last year. Uh, current ADP has Carson going eleven point zero one, and Eli at thirteen point four. Now, if even if you favor Carson to Eli, you certainly cannot argue the value of getting Eli two, almost two full rounds later, especially when you consider that Eli has not missed a game in a decade, and in 12 NFL seasons, Carson has missed 32 games. Let us not forget that before Odell arrived, Eli had just flexical birth and a small flash of Victor Cruz combined with a pile of garbage at wide receivers, yet he shined through Carson has had Chad Johnson, T.J. Hushmanzada, Terrell Owens. Did you know Terrell Owens played in Cincinnati one year? I completely forgot about that. Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, and John Brown. And he still only has the one playoff victory. Uh, That also might be having to do why Carson has the better completion percentage than Eli on his career. Uh, So I'll squash that before Nick even says that. Uh, But seriously, Carson's middle name is Hilton. Doesn't that seem a little entitled? Eli's middle name is Nelson, which I assume is named after the fearless world leader, Nelson Mandela. Um, P.S. Fun fact, Kevin Boss is the only player to catch a touchdown pass from both of these quarterbacks. I found that out in my research. Nick, what do you got for us? Well, to me, this one is not even close. I mean, Carson has Peyton's little brother beaten nearly every category statistically from last year. <laughs> uh, over 200 more yards, three less interceptions, two less sacks, and a full yard and a half more yards per attempt. And last year was one of Eli's best years statistically, so I'm not just picking on him for having a bad year. Arizona also averaged 30.6 points per game. The Giants only 26.2. Now, I think the main argument against Carson Palmer is his injury history. But if you have him, you're aware of that, and you likely have a decent backup. So if he's hurt, he's not in your lineup. Someone else is getting you points, no big deal. But with Eli, he plays every week, like you mentioned. But there's no telling when he's going to have one of his patented mistake-filled brain fart games. Like he did in week 16 (laughs) last year, the week of the fantasy championships, Eli went 15 for 29, 234 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Ouch. Seven times last year, Eli failed to throw more touchdowns than interceptions. Let me me repeat that. In almost half of the games, seven times last year, (laughs) Eli failed to throw more touchdowns than he threw interceptions. That only happened four times to Carson Palmer last year. And while Odell Beckham is better than any Arizona wide receiver, the overall talent in the Cardinals' offense is far superior to New York's cluster of running backs, uh, the unproven Sterling Shepard, and some guy who I think used to salsa dance or something. Uh, Now, I admit I've never liked Eli, you know, even though I thought the world of Peyton Manning. Uh, You know, from Eli throwing a fit and refusing to play for San Diego, the team that drafted him, to almost uh, appearing disappointed in the luxury suite when his brother Peyton won this last Super Bowl. You know, so my perspective, you know, never having met the man, of course, 
But, you know, from an outsider perspective, he strikes me as a little bit of a brat. But this is just about just as much about me liking Carson and his situation as it is about me disliking Eli. You know, having never won a championship, you know that Carson Palmer is going to give it his all this year. So, you know what? Make the right call. Take Carson over Manning, lest you be making sad Eli faces all next season. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you can take Carson over Manning, but then what are you going to do next year? (laughs) That's all I... uh, Yeah. And the only, I guess the only other rebuttal I would say is both these guys throw tons of interceptions. You know, Eli, of course, threw a little bit more last year, but his team was terrible. They're going to be better this year, right? I think their defense is going to be better, and if they get some semblance of a running game, uh, maybe they'll be better. But, uh, yeah, you might have sold me on Carson, at least for this year, especially with David Johnson in the backfield. But uh, hopefully he can limit his mistakes, so. Um, moving forward. Good, good work. Let's do some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. Um, Des Bryant, Kadeem Carey, yes, the Kadeem Carey, uh, for Randall Cobb, Michael Floyd, two 2017 seconds and a 2017 fourth. This pick comes from Dwayne Brown, the mighty commissioner of DFW 48. I believe it's from another league, though. So Des Bryant, Kadeem Carey for Randall Cobb, Michael Floyd, 2002, 2017 seconds, and a 2017 fourth. What do you think there, Nick? I think that's a fair price for Des Bryant. Uh, I would probably side with the uh, the team that picked up the two seconds, the fourth, Randall Cobb and Michael Floyd. Um, you know, Des Bryant, his value seems to be so tied to Tony Romo's health. Uh, he, d- he hasn't appeared as of yet to be one of those guys who can really produce at an elite level without having that elite quarterback there under center. So, you know, I think being able to, you know, Michael Floyd, Randall Cobb, they're not wide receiver ones, but a couple solid wide receiver twos, then you get the draft picks on top of that. I, I would make that trade. I would give up Des for that. Yeah, I I agree too. And and Michael Floyd is in a contract year. And you know what if he goes to Detroit next year? I mean, I know they just gave big money to to Marvin Lewis, and they've got tied, probably tied up for a couple more years. But uh, you know he's he's a big kid. He's six four, two twenty. So I mean he's he's a good sized kid that can do. It's gonna be he's gonna get a, he's gonna get more money than we think he should when. <laughs> When he gets paid, if he lives up to that contract, that's that's yet to be seen. But he's going to be a hot commodity if, if Arizona doesn't take care of him. And if Arizona does take care of him, I think he's even even more attractive, attractive, I should say. And getting those extra picks, yeah, I like that. Especially 2017 with it being so running back heavy. Those in the second round, you could be potentially getting a quality wide receiver with, with maybe at least one of those second rounders. Um, Antonio Brown. Deshaun Jackson, the 2017 third for Jarvis Landry, Randall Cobb, and a 2017 first. Now, I put this one on because the Twitter vote ended in a complete 50-50 tie. Now, I know the Twitter vote is is not, you know, definitive, but I just thought it was interesting because I, I, I think I kind of – I think I would maybe lean a little bit more towards the Antonio Brown side of this. What do you think, Nick? Uh, to me, this one all depends on uh, the your league rules. I think in a standard league, you know, PPR standard league, I think I would uh, side with the side that picked up Jarvis Landry. And the first round pick for the first for the third is really the 
the kicker in this one, which is why I would go with the uh, side that picked up Landry and Randall Cobb in the first-round pick. However, I think in a best ball league, I would go with the other side because uh, Deshaun Jackson, he's such a boomer bust guy that I think in best ball leagues he has so much more value that if it was that uh, style format, I would go with Antonio Brown, Deshaun Jackson in the third. But in the majority of leagues, I would go the other side, Landry Cobb in the first. Good points. Um, I do own Deshaun Jackson the best ball league, so let, let me know when you're when you're interested there, Nick. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I would definitely lean a little bit more Antonio Brown. Um, but that, like you said, it's it's kind of hard to say no to that 2017 first. But that that player still does have to to prosper. And, and if you're you know if you need you know let's face it too, Antonio Brown and Deshaun Jackson are both 29, 30 years old, I believe. At least I think maybe Antonio Brown's 28. You're getting two younger, younger players. You know, is Jarvis Landry ever going to be Antonio Brown? No, but he's is he going to catch 100 balls annually? He's going to be a threat to do so. So, and I think Randall Cobb will be a little bit better. You know, he he had some shoulder issues last year that, and he was kind of forced to play. I think when when he shouldn't have been out there. So, I think he'll be better. So yeah, I, I can see why this is a this is a tie. It's hard to give. It's hard to say no to that 2017 first. Um, another Twitter tie. I think it was actually maybe 51 percent to the uh, to the Willie Sneed side of this one, but a uh, very close vote. Um, Willie Sneed, Kamar Aiken, and T.J. Yeldon for Josh Doxson and Isaiah Crowell. What do you think there, Nick? Um, I definitely would uh, side with the team that picked up Josh Doxson and Isaiah Crowell. Uh, I think T.J. Yeldon is probably the best uh, piece, the most valued piece on that the other side of the trade. But the fact that Jacksonville added Chris Ivory to me signals that they don't fully trust T.J. Yeldon to be an every down back. Which I know Isaiah Crowell is not an every down back either with Duke Jack, uh, Duke Johnson in the fold there. But I think out of all the players in this trade, Josh Doxson has the highest upside. So I'm going to go with the, the side that picked up Doxson and Crowell. Yeah, and Crowell still is the RB1 right now. We don't know what we're going to see out of Yeldon and the timeshare with Ivory, at least in the short term. Um, you know, Kamar Aiken had a pretty damn good year. We'll see how he fits in there with Mike Wallace and Steve Smith and company uh, and Rashard Perryman as well. But uh, – he, he's still he's still a pretty decent player. Um, he's not a guy that you're going to be dropping anytime soon. Uh, do you have the need for Willie Sneed, Nick? I don't. There's a lot. There's a lot of love out there for Willie Sneed, and I just don't see a scenario where he's anything more than their wide receiver three. And the way Drew Brees likes to distribute that ball, we we just don't know what he's going to see. I mean, we could hope for five targets, you know, each week, but I just can't definitively say that's going to happen, don't you think? Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think he's really a big boom, boom or bust week-to-week type of guy. Uh, best ball leagues, you know, I don't mind having him, but in, as far as most formats, it's, it's a struggle to keep him on the end of your roster. Uh, yes, and I will talk about that. Uh, maybe I'll talk about that Dynasty Trade Reflections next week, but I, I gave up Snead in the league that netted me some, some decent things, though, so we'll talk about that maybe next week. That's a good one to talk about. Um, but, yeah, I would lean the Doxon side, too. Crowell, like I said, still RB1, and Doxon certainly has, a, has an upside, looking to be you know the wide receiver one going into Washington next season. Um, it is time for best 
number 41, Nick. What do you, what do you got for us? Well, uh, We'll start with a couple of active safeties. Uh, Antoine Bethea was a sixth-round pick by the Colts who ended up starting 14 games as a rookie, then made the first of his three Pro Bowls in year two. He'll be 32 years old and limited to se- and was limited to seven games last year after playing all 16 games the previous seven years. So we'll see how he returns uh, this year for San Francisco. Roman Harper went to two Pro Bowls and won a Super Bowl during his eight years in New Orleans and recently re-signed with the Saints after playing two years in Carolina. Terrence Newman was a number five overall pick in 2003, and while he only made two Pro Bowls, he has been both solid and reliable, never starting less than 10 games over his nine years with Dallas, three years in Cincinnati, and last year with Minnesota, uh, where he started all 16 games at 37 years old. Matt Snell went to three Pro Bowls as a fullback for the New York Jets and, of course, was a member of the 1968 championship team. Uh, Tom Mate was a running back and kick returner for the Colts from 1961 through 1972. He went to two Pro Bowls and also played quarterback in 1965 after the first and second stringers were injured. And the wristband that he wore in those two games is now actually on display in Camden, the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, Charlie Waters played free safety, cornerback, and strong safety for Dallas from 1970 through 1981, winning two Super Bowls and going to three Pro Bowls and recording 41 interceptions in that span. Phil Villapiano played linebacker for nine years in Oakland and four years in Buffalo, going to four straight Pro Pro Bowls with Oakland from 1973 through 1976 and winning a Super Bowl in 1976. Uh, Now, many people would probably say that the 16-year veteran Eugene Robinson is the top number 41 of all time. He went to three Pro Bowls, had won one Super Bowl ring, and had 57 career interceptions. But while he did help Green Bay win a Super Bowl, he was also a big reason Atlanta lost a Super Bowl when the night before the game he got busted for soliciting a prostitute. Then after being up all night and dealing with that, he played very very poorly in the Super Bowl. So I just can't put him at the top of the list. So I'm going to give it to the versatile running back slash fullback slash tight end Keith Byers. Uh, 3,000 yards and 23 touchdowns rushing. 610 catches, 5,600 yards, and 31 touchdowns receiving. He had seasons of 72 and 81 catches. Uh, Byers spent about half his career in Philadelphia after being the number 10 overall pick in 1986 before moving to the AFC East, where he spent time with Miami as well as the New England Patriots and New York Jets. Now, this pick is definitely a controversial, as Byers only went to one Pro Bowl and never won a Super Bowl ring. But very few players have been as versatile and reliable as Keith Byers. So, in my eyes, he's the top 41 of all time. What do you think? I love it. Uh, I forgot the uh, Super Bowl solicitation issues there with Mr. Robinson. Um, One thing that's amazing about Byers, too, is he was never the running back one for a team played fullback he did play running back he's got a nice nice uh he's got 865 carries on his career but how many how many guys who weren't you know Marshall Folk or Barry Sanders how many guys Thurman Thomas how many guys that weren't running back ones are are just always you know a backup running back or fullback have 3,000 yards rushing and 5,000 yards receiving now I know that's a little bit counteracted when the 6'1", 245-pound buyer has moved to tight end later in his career. But like you said, so versatile. I mean, he never had 1,000 yards rushing or receiving in any year, but just a 
such a valuable piece to have towards any offense. A very, a very successful part of some very successful teams. Although he did not win a Super Bowl ring, uh, yeah, just loved the value that he he gave teams. Only, um, only actually played in the three, excuse me, thirteen career playoff games. Um, so uh, yeah, just not not a not a lot. Not a lot of love there, obviously, with just the one Pro Bowl. And he's probably not going to be a Hall of Famer, but such a versatile player. Um, I know you mentioned Newman. Did you mention Todd Light at all, Nick? I did not. Todd Light just just missed the cut on my list. Okay. Yeah, he was another another great cornerback uh, in, the, in the 90s there. Spent uh, most of his time with uh, the, the Rams there of Los Angeles and, and St. Louis, 37 career interceptions and 175 games. So not bad, but certainly a, a reliable, reliable player there. But yeah, I, I agree with you with, with Byers. I mean, Robinson was a great player. I think he's got over 50 interceptions, but he also played, you know, in almost 300 games for what, 15 years. So uh, Byers, because we love the, uh, we love the PPR aspect. I think, I think it's, I don't think it's controversial. I do love me some Sylvia Piano, but uh, he, uh, yeah, I'll give I'll give it to Byers too, just because he was always one of my favorite players growing up because of the the different aspects that he could give to his team, and he'd be a nice little little ace in the hole, I think, uh, for uh, for fantasy teams nowadays. So we'll give it we'll give it to Keith Byers. I, I got no problem with that. Um, Dynasty trade reflections. Now these are picks. These are trades involving picks after the picks were eventually drafted. DFW 16, uh, I traded Matt Forte and received Justin Forsett because I thought that was going to help me because I owned uh, Buck Allen. Um, I did not get Kenneth Dixon much to my dismay. but uh, uh, So I traded Forte, got Justin Forsett, Justin Forsett, and 1.10 and 3.10, which ended up being Tyler Boyd and Tyler Irvin. Now, these guys are obviously rookie picks, so we, we shouldn't be reflecting on them already. Uh, but now that we know, what, what, what do you think of that pick? I mean, it, it's still it – maybe looks it maybe looks a little bit less desirable now that you see the picks there, Nick. What do you think? Um, I, I love the trade of, on your side, actually. I think Forte and Forsett both have uh, similar ceilings. Uh, Forte has a much higher floor, I think, than Justin Forsett does, but their ceilings are pretty similar. Plus, you add two young players, Tyler Boyd, who we talked about already, and uh, Tyler Irvin, who has a decent shot in Houston there, I think, to be a, uh, a contributing factor in that backfield. So I, I like the trade, definitely. I think, I think you got great value there. Thanks. I just... Like I said, after I read it out, it doesn't maybe look that desirable. But uh, you know, Forte is is moved on in a new scheme, so there might be a little bit of a a learning curve there. I, I hope I get something out of Forte because I'm not going to get anything for for him in a trade. Um, that's for sure. Uh, what do you think about uh, this? Is from our cronies league. Me and me and one of the heavyweights of the fantasy community or maybe one of the studs of the fantasy community, Jim Day, pulled off this trade as I traded 
Decker the day before our rookie draft started. I traded Eric Decker for pick 1.09 and pick 3.09 when I eventually took uh, Michael Thomas, who felt to me they're very happy, um, and Austin Hooper. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I have a question. Uh, were you in rebuild mode or win-now mode in this league? This is when our re- rebuild mode, definitely. Yes. Then in rebuild mode, I love, absolutely love this trade. Uh, Michael Thomas, Austin Hooper, uh, one of those guys is a tight end, Austin Hooper. So you're obviously not expecting a whole lot from a, a rookie tight end. But in, in a rebuild mode, I definitely love this trade. In, in three years when you're ready to compete, Eric Decker is going to have zero value, uh, whereas Michael Thomas is going to be hopefully coming into his own. And same with Austin Hooper. Love this trade if you're rebuilding. Yeah, one of my two first-round picks in this league. So, yeah, happy to get Thomas there. Also took Treadwell there as I, as I purged all my uh, all my older wide receivers. I also traded my uh, Brandon Marshall for 2017 first. So I think if I'm turning the page and become a middle-of-the-road team, I'm still going to have two first-round picks next year to add a, add a nice piece and and come around. So I, I definitely like this one a little bit more after I see the trades. I liked it beforehand too, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. But I like, I like to, I like to see how it's uh, taking shape. Most certainly. Um, rankings update, Nick. What's uh, anything stick out to you there? At uh, what's what's new or what stands out for you in our offensive ranks? Uh, well, I thought James Winston at QB6 was a little bit too high. Same with Kirk Cousins at QB13 and Matthew Stafford at QB17. Uh, as far as running backs, uh, you, you look at a Derrick Henry is actually the RB12. Jay Ajay, the RB25. There's a lot of uh, talent in between. So I think RB2 is a really strong position. Uh, wide receiver, Sterling Shepard's up seven slots all the way up to number 31. Already ahead of guys like Jeremy Macklin and John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders. I think that might be a little bit high on the rookie there in New York. Uh, if Keenan Allen stays healthy, I think the wide receiver 14 ranking is going to look like a steal as heavily as he got targeted before he got injured last year. And then uh, later on, you look at Larry Fitzgerald, Alan Hearns, and Doug Baldwin are the wide receivers 40 through 42. So this is a very deep group of wide receiver we have this year. And then at tight end, Julius Thomas jumped Kobe Fleener. I think that might be uh, – I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, but I think there's no surprise that uh, ASJ is down two slots at tight end number 17 after his uh, recent struggles in practice. Uh, Zach Miller, tight end 22. Vance McDonald, tight end 27. Ben Watson, tight end 29. I think those guys all provide good value later. And the same goes for Jared Cook. Even with the injury, I think he's a good flyer at the tight end number 31. Yeah, it's it's hard with those veterans, especially when they trade teams, what, what they can expect. I just, you know, we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers lean on the tight end very much, so that's just always surprising. A little surprised Delaney Walker, speaking tight ends, took a little bit of a a little bit of a dip there. Um, I don't trust fans McDonald at all. I just want to put up put that out there. Um, you can do what you will, but I don't I don't trust him really. Um, not much movement in the wide receivers besides, like Nick said, with Sterling Shepard. Tyler Lockett's up a couple. A couple spots, too. I think that's warranted. I still don't get the Golden Tate being in the top 30. I I, I know he's had some good shining moments, but I, 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 I we'll see what he 
see what he can give. Um, certain people are a little bit high on uh, on Mike Wallace, which is kind of interesting. Bouchard Perryman and Nelson Aguilar both took some some dips, um, and I think that's warranted. We you know we'll see. Even though Perryman looks to be okay, we'll see we'll see how that shapes out. Um, what do you think about? Maybe you mentioned this. Sorry, did you, Elliot being running back number three already? What do you think about that? Uh, I thought that might be a little bit high, uh, ranking over David Johnson, but I, I do understand it because the situation is great. Dallas wouldn't have used that high of a draft pick on him if they didn't uh, plan on featuring him right away, plus his uh, competi- main competition for uh, carries the last year starter, Darren McFadden, is already injured. So yeah, I understand it. Oh, it might be a little high, and I don't know if I would pay that price for him, but I do definitely understand why he's ranked that high. Um, this is probably the Raider in me, but I don't, I don't get Latavius Murray being number 20, excuse me, number 39 below guys like Kenneth Dixon and Jay Ajay. Uh, I think you're going to, you know, uh, sure he didn't do, you know, he didn't, he had a lot of touches and didn't, and he got a lot of yards, but it's because he had a lot of touches last year. But let's not forget they built up that offensive line this off season and they, they, they could do some really good things. Um, I think you're going to see more out of Murray this year, but that's okay. I'll I'll stick with him as, as my boy if nobody else believes in him. I still don't agree with Carlos Hyde being in the top ten just because we don't know. It seems like a great fit, um, but uh, you know, if Chip Kelly doesn't like it, be I mean you go to the bench. I mean, what do you think about Le'Veon Bell being number two? I, I honestly, it's not like I would just completely stay away from him, but I'm not spending the first round pick of a startup on him right now. I just I just can't warrant that, especially when I know there's five or six wide receivers I would take ahead of him. Um and we I mean, the guy can't stay healthy. That's that's it you know, it's it's an easy thing to say, but it's just so true. So I, we have him at running back number two. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, that, you know, we've seen him produce when he is healthy. We've seen him produce on the field. So I understand why people still rank him that high, but I, I, I'm with you. I would not pay the price that it would take to acquire him at this point. Uh, I, I just, It's hard to trust a running back that, like you said, has problems staying on the field due to health reasons. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we know what he is and know what he, what he can do, but I, I still think – for now, for dynasty purposes, I would maybe put David Johnson ahead of him. I would put David Johnson number two. I'd probably go Gurley, Johnson, Elliott, just because we know that running back window, and maybe just maybe Bell has has lost it. Maybe he's passed it. Um, I also disagree a little bit with Lamar Miller. Excuse me, Doug Martin being ahead of Eddie Lacy. I think Eddie Lacy should be atop of Lamar Miller and Doug Martin. Um, and Adrian Peterson should be a little bit higher. I know he's 35 years old, but the guy is not slowing down, and he's a cyborg. So um, that's all we have for you today, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, and I do um, – I, I, rookie ranks are just – I think those are coming up to the, the offensive rookie ranks anyway. So I'm finally giving Wendell Smallwood a little bit of love. So we'll, we'll see if it's warranted. I'm not totally – sold on him because he's got a, I think he's got a lot to learn even though that offense seems some somewhat basic 
but it is a West Coast offense. It's a pro style system, and a guy a guy that was very versatile in college. Um, you know that he, he brings that to the table, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was awesome at one thing. It means he was just able to was athletic enough to do multiple things for his college team. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. Just 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 slow down a little bit, I think, on on Wendell Small with you, Bob. I bumped him up a little bit, but don't. Uh, you know, don't go crazy and have them entering. You know, like your top, your top five rookie running backs right now. I, I, I don't see that at all. So, um, what, I hear nothing but bad news about my guy Keith Marshall out of Washington. There, Nick, what do you got? Not going to make the team. Not going to be healthy. What do you think? Uh, it's so tough to say. I mean, there's not a whole lot on the depth chart ahead of him. So. If he can get healthy in training camp and, you know, do anything in preseason, you would think he would be a lock for a roster spot, you know, especially considering Chris Thompson's injury history there, who's the current third down back there in Washington. But, you know, I guess we will uh, wait and see come August, right? Yeah, and even though Thompson has an injury history, uh, if you're you're having, you know, if you hold – you have Marshall on a team right now and Thompson's available, I think you should definitely put in a waiver claim for him. And if you have Thompson, don't drop him just yet. Because, I mean, he he's a guy that could potentially get some receptions. He could be a 30-40 reception guy for this offense. So, remember that. He will he will, he will have a third down role, especially if, if Marshall is obviously gone or, or injured. He will have a, a definite role in, in the third down there. So, make sure you, make sure you look at Chris Thompson, see if he's available there. So, um, great show as always, Nick. Big, big thanks to uh, Chris Hickson for joining us and Chase Martinson, the Georgia Tech redshirt sophomore quarterback. Um, we will talk to you next week. Um, and I don't have the dawn before us next week. I'll, I'll, I'll look into my notes and figure that out. But uh, we will talk to you next week, Nick. Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, just uh, I got to agree with you. That was a great, great interview that we had earlier. Most definitely. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world?